Well, good morning. We're going to start uh, this morning in reading a passage from the 19th chapter of Luke, beginning in verse 27. We are going to look at one of Jesus' parables. Uh, beginning, uh, I'm sorry, not verse 27, it ends in verse 27, uh, beginning in verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas uh, each and said to them, um, I'm sorry, gave them one mina of the ten each. And he said, do business with this until I come back. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Do your, By your own words I will judge you, worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money uh, in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest." Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. And I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to return over them and reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence." And then also, we want to I want to also read this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word and bless it to our hearts. We ask that as we look at this parable of the ten minus, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that this would not simply be additional information for our minds and our heads, but that you would control and reveal so that our hearts are changed and we go forth with a different perspective. And I ask also that you would put your words in my mouth so that we do not have to listen uh, to a mere man. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's, we begin in verse 11 in this parable. It begins uh, in the city of Jericho. 
And Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem at the time. He makes, uh, tells this parable in Jericho, and he is on his way to die on the cross. This is Jesus' uh, last visit uh, to Jericho. And because of this, people also sense a climax is about to happen. And, and they're right, but not in the way they're expecting. Uh, they are expecting that with his entry into Jerusalem, probably a day or two later, that the kingdom of God will suddenly appear uh, immediately in open manifestation uh, in great power and authority demonstrated by God. Uh, Jesus has already uh, told his disciples uh, in Luke uh, 17, beginning in verse 22, where he discusses his second coming. He tells them uh, that his return is not going to occur immediately. And in verse 22 of Luke 17, he says, The days will come when you will long to see the, second, the, the coming of man. The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And what he's telling them is, my return will be beyond your lifetime. And in fact, the kingdom is in two phases. The first phase is the kingdom within you. That is the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit through us is conquering one heart at a time so that the kingdom is spreading and expanding, but it's expanding internally uh, within each of us who come into the knowledge of Jesus. Only at the end of the age will we see this overwhelming uh, entrance of Christ in all his glory, in all his authority and power uh, coming as the king. That's what they're expecting, but that's not what's coming. They're expecting this tremendous appearance of the kingdom of God. That's coming, but it's not coming uh, at their time. Now, the parable uh, is told by Jesus in response to this expectation uh, that most of the people have. And one of the things that's important to look at when you, when you start looking at Jesus' parables uh, in general, his parables are always going to start with something that's very commonly known to the people, something they're familiar with. But as he goes through the parable, at some point that parable is going uh, to become exaggerated. And the reason why he exaggerates in his parables is in order for you to more the listener to more effectively and more easily pick out the principle that he is teaching by the parable and also so that you might be able uh, to apply that principle in other contexts outside the parable. Now in the one I just read, the one we're going to look at, the parable of the ten minas is what it's normally referred to, uh, there are three themes uh, in this parable. The first is uh, Jesus' authority. The second theme is our stewardship and the fact that there will be a delay in his return. And the third theme has to do uh, with the fact that we must all be accountable uh, for our stewardship during his delay. 
Now, this parable is very similar to the parable of the talents. If you'll recall, Jesus called a number of servants together and says a man was going on a far trip, and he gave each of those servants a different set of talents. In one case, he gave one servant five talents and another two talents and another one a one talent. But many commentators try to figure out whether this is the same parable just retold by Luke differently from Matthew. Matthew deals with the parable of the talents uh, in Matthew 25. I want to suggest to you that it's probably a separate parable. Uh, this one was told in Jericho. That one is told in Jerusalem. The talents uh, are uh, uh, very, very uh, valuable. Uh, a talent in those days was anywhere from 55 pounds to 80 pounds, and when you have a talent of gold, you have 55 to 80 pounds of gold. Now, you can figure out just on today's market how much that would probably be. So even one talent in that parable was an amazing amount uh, of money. But here, uh, he is giving them minas, which are much smaller. Uh, he is giving each servant one mina. He is not giving some more, etc. cetera. Uh, so there are a number of differences that are significant and for that reason, I tend to agree with the commentators that say these are two different parables uh, told from two different aspects uh, at the time of each parable. Now, in Luke 19.12, uh, uh, Jesus talks about a nobleman going to a distant uh, country uh, in order to uh, receive a kingship uh, and uh, to receive a kingdom. Now, what's interesting here is that this particular uh, part of the parable is very familiar to the listeners. First of all, kings, local kings, couldn't become kings on their own. They had, because they were under the Roman Empire, they had to go to Caesar in Rome. So they had to go to a distant land in order to be confirmed and receive that kingdom. So the Initial listeners would have been very uh, familiar with this. But 25 years ago, uh, from their perspective, 25 years earlier, uh, an incident had occurred that is almost in line with what he's saying. Uh, Herod the Great, uh, who was the king at the time Jesus was born, had four sons. <clears throat> and in, his, uh, in the course of his reign, each son uh, was a favorite but fell into disfavor. And so Herod had left a will in which he designated the first son uh, to take his kingdom. But he got frustrated with him, changed his will, and by the end of his life, he had made four wills in which he had designated each different son to have his kingdom. The result is that as when he died, uh, the four boys each claimed the full kingdom of Herod. And so they had to go to Rome. So each one of them went to Rome and put his claim before Caesar. It was one heck of a will contest is what it was. And Caesar, what he did was he divided Herod's kingdom into four parts. And so instead of being king, each of them became a tetrarch. In the case of Herod Antipas, he was the tetrarch of Galilee. Now, there was another son named Archelaus, and Archelaus uh, was, uh, lived in Jerusalem, and uh, Archelaus, when he went to Rome, 
the gr a group of citizens in Jerusalem sent a delegation after him to Caesar saying, we don't want this guy to rule over us. But unfortunately for them, Archelaus was made tetrarch of Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, and when he came back, uh, he dealt with the people that didn't want him uh, to be the, uh, the king over them. So you can see this parable that I've just read uh, is pretty close to an event that had happened maybe 25 to 30 years earlier. Now, in the parable, Jesus is obviously uh, the nobleman, and he is the one who will go away uh, to receive a kingdom. Uh, I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what's going to happen and what is happening. In Acts 1-9, as the, uh, uh, Jesus is ascends uh, from the Mount of Olives, and we call that the ascension. The apostles are standing there, and he rises up into the clouds and is, is hidden by a cloud. Now, in Daniel 7, we see the ascension, but we're seeing it from the standpoint of heaven. So they saw him from earth going up into the clouds. In heaven, here's the ascension again, seen from heaven's viewpoint. Verse 13 of Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he presented, was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men, and every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So in this parable, the nobleman going away to receive a kingdom is precisely what Jesus is going to do. When he ascends, he is going to come up to the throne at the right hand of God, and he is going to be given a kingdom uh, that will not pass away. And when he returns the second time, he will return with the kingdom and as king. And so this parable is very specific and very prophetic. Uh, now, one of the things we need to keep in mind is since this deals with his delay after he leaves and ends with his coming back, that means that this parable applies to us. We are some of those servants uh, that is in that parable. Uh, and in the parable, uh, he gives each servant one mina. Now, a mina uh, is a hundred drachma in their money in those days. That's the equivalent of a hundred days uh, worth of wages, uh, working wages. And the um, mina, as opposed to the talent, which is much more valuable, the mina, you would have to work much harder and much longer uh, to make a profit with that mina. Uh, and we, in this parable, the servants, the slaves, that's us. We're, we're the servants uh, in that parable. And the servants in that parable are genuine Christians. They are people who have heard the word of truth in the gospel and believed it and have repented of their sins, have trusted Jesus for their sins being borne by him on the cross and him paying their judgment. They have bowed the knee to him 
The Holy Spirit has given them the faith to believe. Romans 10, 17. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And the result is the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in them. And this is critical to this particular uh, parable. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. They are in Christ and Christ uh, is in them. And they have eternal life. Uh, and now you say, you say, well, I thought we were sons. I thought we were children of God. We are. Ephesians 1.5 says the Father in love has adopted us through Christ. And John, 1 John uh, 3, uh, 1 and 2 says uh, we are now children of God. That is how we are known as children of God. Yes, we are sons and daughters of the King. There's no question about that. But in the capacity of carrying out ministry, we are servants. We are serving him and we are serving each other uh, as we carry out the ministry that he has given us to do. Jesus himself uh, regarded himself as a servant, not as the king when he was here. Uh, he was a king and he tells Pilate that he's a king, uh, but this was his perspective. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom uh, for many. So the result, folks, is that we are servants, but we're not just servants. We are stewards. And a steward uh, is somebody who has both responsibility uh, and initiative uh, for the work that they've been given to do. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And we still have the same requirements today. The Texas law today and other laws in other, nation, other states of our nation impose on a steward uh, or somebody who is an agent for another party imposes on them what is known as fiduciary duty. And the definition of fiduciary duty, the one who has the fiduciary duty, the steward who has the fiduciary duty to the master, has a duty of utmost good faith and fair dealing. In other words, in all that he does, he is required to put the master first when he is dealing with the things uh, of the master. Uh, and the... Um, the loyalty that is required of us or, or the duty required of us uh, by the Lord is loyalty and obedience. Uh, that is our fiduciary duty uh, with regard to serving him. Now, let me take what this mina deals with, and I want to give you, uh, I want to call it a literal application. Uh, I want to make this clear. The par what I'm about to say, the parable does not say this. Uh, but I think that it is a reasonable uh, inference. First, what I read earlier of 2 Corinthians 5.10, for all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That means that stewards do have an accountability. And that is the case even in current law today. 
one who has a fiduciary duty is subject to being held accountable for that duty. And so today, a, a steward in, in the scriptures, therefore, has a duty of accountability. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that that duty will be, called, well, will be called to account for what we've done before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ uh, is for the believer. It does not deal with your eternal destiny. In the judgment seat of Christ, you will give account for what you have done uh, at the time of his giving you the ministries and the gifts that he gives you. Uh, and you will receive rewards or loss, depending. And I would suggest to you that this parable is describing uh, precisely that. In fact, let's turn over uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, 3 uh, and verse 12, where Paul is saying, now, and he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He says, now, if any man, uh, if, um, verse 12, now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident for the day will show, be, will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on, on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as so, uh, yet so as through fire. So you can see that what this parable is talking about is being uh, spoken of in specific terms uh, later in the epistles. Uh, and again, this parable is highly uh, prophetic. Now, what I want to suggest to you is this, that this mina that each one of us is given, and I mean any Christian, I don't mean some Christians, I want to say all Christians who have Christ in them and who are walking with him, each one of you has been given this mina. And what I want to suggest to you is the mina uh, stands for the gifts of the Spirit and the ministries that are given along with it. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 3, uh, referring to himself. I would suggest this is Paul's mina, if you will. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, verse 2, he says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me uh, for you, then over to verse 8 of Ephesians 3, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So what I want to suggest to you is, and I think there is a reasonable inference that can be drawn from Jesus' parable, that the mina uh, would consist of the gifts of the Spirit as well as the ministries uh, that they are utilized in. Let's go over it again to 1 Corinthians uh, 12. I hope you had your Bibles open, and you want to keep your fingers in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. I should have told you that at the beginning. Uh, first of all, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Where do the gifts come from? The Holy Spirit gives them. Then it says in verse 5, uh, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Who are we talking about when we say same Lord? 
We are talking about Jesus. He is Lord. And then verse 6 says, There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Uh, and then verse 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what I would suggest to you is this. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts. The ministries that are given are to you are designated and given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father is the one who is responsible for the effects, the outworking, the impact of those ministries uh, and gifts working together. And what I want to say to you is the gifts are given for the purpose of utilizing them in ministry for the benefit of those in the body of Christ, but also for those who are outside of Christ uh, who need to come to a knowledge of faith and truth in who he is. And I'll give you an example is myself. The gift that I operate under is the gift of exhortation. But I exercise the gift of exhortation uh, through the ministry of teaching. And none of you are any different in the sense that you have a gift and God has in mind uh, a ministry uh, for you. In fact, do you know what your gift is? Uh, how do you, if you don't, how do you find out? Well, one, I would suggest you ask the Lord. Secondly, when you engage in certain things, especially in, in the, the area of Scripture and in the area of what could be a ministry, uh, do you receive a certain joy from doing certain things uh, in the area of, of, of the Christian walk? Are people being impacted by what you do uh, when you do certain things in the area of, of the Christian walk? And you can always take a test to tell you perhaps uh, what your gift is. Uh, I think the uh, shape test will do that, is designed to do that. Uh, but yes, it's good to know what your gifts are, but let me say this. You don't have to know what they are uh, in order to engage in the ministry Jesus is putting you in. I was a teacher for many years before I discovered the gift I had was exhortation. So you don't have to say, well, I got to find out my gift before I can do anything. That's not true. Jesus is prepared to put you into ministry. The question is, are you available? Have you told him you're available? And I make this comment in the Sunday school. I'll refer to it again. God's not as interested in your ability as he is your availability. He'll give you the ability. In fact, every one of you in Christ, he has been, even before you knew him, giving you abilities uh, and gifts that prepare you for the ministry that he has for you. Let's look at Ephesians 2.10. Anybody bring that up? That's okay if you don't. Ephesians 2.10. This is one of my favorite verses, but I'll let you have it too. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. When did that workmanship start? In the womb, I would suggest to you. And he has been preparing you all along. For we are his workmanship. Why? Because he chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1.4. For we as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, what I want to suggest to you is there are all kinds of ministries and all kinds of gifts. We have lists of gifts in the New Testament, uh, Romans 12, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans 12, 8 and 9, I'm not going to read them to you, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, Ephesians 4, 11. Those are lists of gifts, but they are not exhaustive. Nor are ministries only the sort of thing where somebody stands up here and teaches or just uh, a ministry of prophecy or healing. The gifts function in numerous ministries. When I was up here a year ago, I told the story of the widow uh, in the 19th century in Scotland, uh, and this story was told by Alex uh, uh, McLaren who was a great Scottish preacher. And he was with this widow one day talking to her, and she began to dab at her eyes and teary-eyed. And he said, what's the matter? And she said, oh, when I was a wee lass, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I feel like I haven't done enough for him. And McLaren said, you have four boys, don't you? Well, yes. And what are their names? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. was original. Tell me about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Matthew is a missionary in China. Luke has joined him last year as a missionary there. Uh, uh, Matthew, was, or the other one, I think Mark, I think Matthew was a missionary in China. Luke had joined him. Mark is a missionary in Africa. And uh, John is going to join him, but the Lord has told John he's to remain here and take care of me until I go to be with the Lord. McLaren said, Woman, great is your reward in heaven. Now, there is a ministry. She had a ministry. Her ministry was in her home. Her ministry was to her children. There is no end to the kinds of ministries that Jesus will give you to do. Uh, and the gifts that he will use, let me say this about the gifts. Some are obvious. Uh, you know, great, powerful preaching, prophetic words, healing, that sort of thing. Some are not as obvious but none are lesser than the others. When the Holy Spirit moves through the gifts of the Spirit, they are supernatural in the way they work. There are no lesser gifts. Uh, some years ago in the 80s, uh, when my daughters were much, much younger, uh, my wife and I invited a missionary couple over uh, to... Uh, uh, have dinner with us, and the reason we did so is we were wanting to expose our daughters to a godly couple. He, they had been in the uh, deep uh, jungles of Peru uh, translating uh, the Bible for Wycliffe. In the course of working in the jungles in Peru, he had shown the Indians there uh, how to build a dam across the river so that they could pond the water and have irrigation and built an irrigation system for them. He taught another Indian how to do dentistry. In fact, a missionary came from Lima to have that Indian give him a filling because the one he had gotten in Lima had fallen out. Uh, he did medical uh, work for the Indians. They brought a little boy in one time, had been crushed by a tree, uh, and the, the, he couldn't get the doctors in Lima in time because they had closed, so he had this sense he shouldn't bandage him, and so they left him as he was, uh, just dabbing the wounds. Uh, he called the next morning, the first thing the doctor said is, you didn't bandage him, did you? And he said, no, I had a sense I shouldn't. 
Uh, and he said, good, he'd be dead by now if you had. Uh, you don't do that apparently in the tropics. He, he w ran through the jungle one time with another Indian to reach an Indian that had been bitten by a snake that was extremely deadly. You had a few hours to live. Uh, he got to, they were tracked by a jaguar the whole time they were going there. Uh, he got in there to the Indian. His skin was so spongy from the toxin of the snake, he couldn't give him an injection. He said, I prayed for him in the Indian's language. Then to make sure God heard, I prayed in English. I was exhausted. I fell back and went to sleep. The next morning, I got up. I thought, oh my gosh, where am I? I headed outside that hut, started going into the jungle. 30 yards into the jungle, I heard a twig snap, and I thought, behind me, and I thought, oh, I forgot about that jaguar. And he turned around. He said, I'm going to take it head on. He turned around, and it was the Indian. He was totally healed. I looked at him after I heard all this, and I said, what were you before you were in Wycliffe? And he said, I was a draftsman. A draftsman? What's your spiritual gift? Helps. Helps when the Holy Spirit is moving. Lots of people in this congregation have a wonderful gift of helps. Uh, and it is done for the purpose of building the body of Christ, and it doesn't do it any less than the other gifts. So don't get in the idea, well, I don't have an important gift. If the Holy Spirit has given it to you, it's important, and he will use it uh, for his purposes. Now, what we want to do uh, is this. I want to just make a quick observation, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close, uh, because I'm not going to begin to cover this whole parable. I'd have to come back next week, uh, and then the week after. And nobody wants me to do that. So... What I want you to see about these, and I, what I've done is I'm concentrating on the two guys that had the increase in their minus. Uh, a third of the parable deals with the guy that showed up without anything but one minor and hadn't done anything. Uh, and I think in his case, he might be a believer, but he had no knowledge of the Lord, and his view of the Lord was obviously warped. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look quickly at these two guys that had increases. Notice that the first servant had one mina given to him, but he had produced ten minas. That's a 1,000% increase. The second servant had five minas that he had produced from the one. That's a 500% increase. Now, what I want to suggest to you is if these are the gifts and the ministries, that's what the minas are. Remember, the Spirit gives the gift. The Lord Jesus designates the ministry, but the Father is responsible for the effects. And I want to suggest to you that 1,000% increase and that 500% increase are reflections of the Spirit of God, the Father, causing the effects as they go about their business doing what they've got to do, working in their ministry. That tremendous increase is the Father himself working to produce that increase. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
Now, the other thing we also see here is this, that God's gifts, God's rewards, are way out of proportion to the results that they produced. And they're very different from the human earthly provision uh, pr produced that they came up with. So I want us to understand that. Uh, now, I want to say one other thing, and I want to uh, mention something to you uh, about this um, virus we're talking about. There is fear and panic uh, over this virus that has struck. Uh, I'm not saying that we should show, throw caution to the winds, but as Don was saying and as Gary has said, this is not a time uh, for fear. Uh, what I would suggest to you folks is that this is a time to see this as an opportunity. This is a time to display the peace of God in the face of what is very difficult and dangerous. Because the value there is, is there are people now who feel they don't have control of their lives, that they're subject to being struck down, and they do not have an eternal perspective. And I would suggest to you, there are people that are going to be open to being shown the way to Christ. Uh, and I think we should see this as an opportunity wherever we are to demonstrate the peace and the joy that we have in Christ, we don't have to be afraid because we have an eternal perspective. Death for us is not the end. Death is a door into the presence of Christ. And so that's the sort of thing we look for. And when you have uh, critical conditions like this, a lot of people who don't know him start looking around for an answer. We've got it. And this is an opportunity to give it. Let me give you an example, and I'll close. And that's Acts 4. Uh, this is a threat, yes. But we should see threats the way the church in the first century saw threats. Uh, in the fourth chapter of Acts, the Sanhedrin told John and Peter that they were to stop preaching the name of Christ. Of course, to disobey the Sanhedrin's command was a death penalty. Uh, so that meant you keep preaching uh, and you're going uh, to pay the price. You're going to suffer persecution. Now, I'll grant you, this is a different threat, but it's still a threat. And here was the attitude of the church when they were informed of the decree of the Sanhedrin, uh, Acts 4, verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, who, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, and notice this verse, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence 
while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. This was a threat that they were facing. The COVID-19 is a threat. It is a threat to the world. It is a threat in a sense to the church. What the church in the first century did when they were under the threat of impending persecution by the Sanhedrin is they did not look at the threat. They looked at God and they focused on him. And the beginning of the prayer talks about him being the creator of the heavens and the earth. And they understood that God was greater than the Romans and Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is greater than COVID-19? Absolutely. Absolutely. What are we to do? We are to focus on him, not COVID-19, because he has a purpose. Now, this can be, again, I've said this before, this could be the church's finest hour. We should see it that way. The ministry that he gives, the gifts that he gives to us, may he begin then to use those in us to impact with boldness the people who are beginning to say, who will show me any good thing? Who will give me a way out? This is an opportunity for ministry and for use of our gifts, and we should see it a chance to increase for the Father to increase uh, the mina. Now, one other thing, and I'm over, and that is Jesus' statement, as for those in verse 27, who did not want me to reel over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. He is not trying to be Archelaus here. That's simply a picture of judgment. If you are not a believer, if you are refusing Christ, you can only continue to, ref if you continue to refuse the mercy and the grace that he is extending to you, the more you continue to refuse, the only thing left is judgment. If you continue and insist on refusing, uh, then the only thing available to you is judgment. You say, well, I don't believe that. Fine, that's a subjective view on your part. It isn't going to change the objective facts. Uh, Jesus has done it all for you. He died for you. He bore your sin. He paid your penalty so that you might not face the judgment of eternal loss. But if you continue to say, no, I'm not doing that. I don't believe that. I won't be, I'm not interested. Then the only thing left is judgment. I hate to end it on that. I guess I could say, have a nice day. But this is why we want to use the ministries and the gifts to build one another up, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, and to present the front before the world of the truth of the gospel, to bring as many into the kingdom as we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and honor, glory, majesty, and dominion. And Lord, we ask that for each one of us that you would allow us to be your effective servants uh, who are functioning in the gifts, whether we know what they are or not, and who are being uh, obedient to carry out the ministries uh, that you have given to us. And Lord, I do want to close uh, and ask in closing that you uh, grant us peace, grant us joy uh, in the knowledge of your presence. Lord, allow us to be a picture of who you are 
that we would display your image and your goodness and your grace uh, to those who are perishing. And I want to, Lord, close in my prayer. I want to make Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 uh, our prayer uh, in this time of crisis. Uh, and, I, and I will say this. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. And I pray the same for all of you that are watching, that you will walk according to the power that he gives you. In Jesus' name.